for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, the church or Christians have struggled with a question. How do we relate to the culture around us? How do we relate to the world around us? And for hundreds of years, Christians have followed a couple of different models. One model that Christians have followed is they've said, we need to withdraw from the world. So you see Christian communities, different groups that withdraw and they set up their own little communities. We still have them today in South Dakota and they're really big out in the eastern United States. Little communities of faith that withdraw and basically create their own societies. That's been one method. Another method that's been done throughout the history of the church is that Christians have drawn their swords. Christians have gone to battle and say, we need to overthrow the government or we need to overthrow the powers that be or we need to remove those who have apathy, or we need to remove those who are evil by physical force. This has been done in the name of Christ. And it's being done today in the name of Christ in some places. We need to acknowledge this willingly and openly. This is one method that some groups have taken. Either withdraw completely or go on the physical, literal attack. Other Christian groups have said, you know what? God created the world We need to live in the culture and basically become like the culture because that's God's creation. And so that's existed and it's alive and well today. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but Christians don't have the greatest reputation in culture. Just by any survey and also just by personal conversation, Christianity is not exactly looked highly upon. And I don't know about you, but that just doesn't sit well with me. It's kind of like you're in this constant battle of being looked down upon. You're in this constant battle of being viewed as the no crowd. Or you're in this constant position of, oh, why are you against this? No fun or whatever. Or you do more harm than you do good. You hurt people. You're so judgmental. Christianity does not have the greatest reputation in the world today. It was proved to me this last week. As I was traveling, staying at a hotel, as I was telling my friend Paul, the pastor's got to get in the real world at some point. So at night, I went down to the hotel bar. Everybody breathe. It's okay. Thing. Went down to the hotel bar and watched baseball and was sitting there drinking. And it was fun having conversations with all these other people that were traveling. The moment, the moment they found out I was a pastor, guess what? Conversation changed. In a hurry. Thing. About everything. Back to, oh, well, yeah, that's nice. And, and what kind of widgets do you sell? Thing. Why? Why? It's because Christianity has, has just got this, mm, kind of, what is it? What, we're, we don't know what you're going to do if you're a Christian. Are you going to come down harsh on us as we're having this conversation? Can I even talk about this stuff anymore? Because what are you going to say? Da, 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 da. It just leads to really awkward relationships. Christianity's had an awkward relationship with our culture. But what do we do? Should we go build some castles out in the thing and just everybody move there? Should we pick up our swords and fight? This morning, I would contend that the Apostle Paul is laying down a completely different approach, an approach that we actually don't see very often. The Apostle Paul, in writing the book of Romans, is writing to a group of people that are somewhat similar to us. They're living amongst people in themselves as well that have made a bunch of mistakes. And the people around them are continuing to make a bunch of mistakes. They're living in a culture that views sexuality very freely. Basically, whatever you feel, do it. This isn't something new. 
We did not invent the new stuff going on with sex. It's not your grandchildren's fault. It's not your children's fault. This has been around forever. So they're living in the same thing, and that's what's going on. Not only that, but they've got a government that's extremely evil. A government that has said, don't say the name of Jesus anymore. Look in the book of Acts. They said to Peter, Peter, hey, stop talking about Jesus. This government killed Jesus. These people are living in a tough time. You think we have it tough now. Think how tough they had it. They didn't even have freedom of religion. And Paul writes to them and basically gives these instructions. as, okay, now, during this hour that you're living in, during this season, this is what I want you to do. I believe it can be summarized in five words. Reflect Christ to the culture. Reflect Christ to the culture. Jesus does not want us to escape from culture. Jesus does not want us to suppress culture. Jesus wants us to reflect his image to culture. This gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. When we understand what it means to be a Christian, it answers this question of how should we interact with culture. John Stott, the evangelical leader, basically said God's plan is this. Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. In his final sermon, he just said, the destiny for humanity is Christ-likeness. I want to look at one passage. We could look at multiple. Romans chapter 8 says it the best for us. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What's being said very simply here in Romans chapter 8 is this, is that before the creation of the world, God set in his mind the end goal and the end game. The end goal and the end game was this. All of creation was going to reflect the image of his son, Jesus, the Messiah. Before you were even created, God had a plan for your life. You want to know what God's plan is for your life? God's plan for your life is that you resemble his son, Jesus Christ. All of us have struggled with that question at some point in our lives. What's God's will for my life? It's right here. God's will for your life is in that all that you do, you reflect the image of Jesus Christ. This should take your mind back to Genesis 1 that talks about creation. In Genesis 1, we get this story about God creating the world, and then it gets to the point of human beings being created. And the difference between human beings and the rest of creation is very simply, humanity is created in the image of God. God says, Let them make a man and woman in our image. Humanity was created very specifically to reflect the image of God. That image has been broken because of our sin, our wrongdoing. But Jesus Christ came to restore that image. That in Jesus, the perfect human being is seen. In Jesus, we have the prototype for all humanity. In Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan that ultimately all of humanity resembles the image of Jesus because then we resemble the image of God. God's plan for your life is that you would reflect the image of God. This is what you were created to do. What does it mean to be Christ-like? Or the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 13. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these times, he says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ or clothe yourselves with the person of Jesus Christ. 
Christ-likeness comes in all forms. I could find you a verse for almost all different categories. We're supposed to be like Christ in the way we love. You've heard the verses, love as God has loved you. We're supposed to be like Christ in how we forgive. It's the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're supposed to be like Christ in how we serve. John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet and says, go and do likewise. We're supposed to be like Jesus in how we suffer. The book of 1 Peter is all about us following the example of Jesus, that while he suffered, he did not retaliate. We're supposed to resemble the person of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, let your attitude be that of Christ Jesus. In other words, our attitudes are supposed to reflect the mindset of Jesus. To be Christ-like is to reflect the character, the person, the philosophy, the attitude of Jesus himself. Imitation is basically what it is. Imitation of Jesus is the will of God for the people of God. That's God's desire for your life, that you would imitate Jesus. And imitation is not something new for any of us in this room. We're actually all really good at imitation. We do it all the time. The, the thing is this, we don't do it intentionally. We don't intentionally wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to start talking like my coworkers. What happens though? After a certain amount of time, you start using the same lingo. Not good, not bad, just reality. Kids don't say, hey, this next week, I'm going to memorize how my parents respond to a difficult situation, and next week I'm going to imitate that. No, what do they do? They just imitate it. We all do this all of the time. Unintentionally imitate other people. The question is, will we intentionally seek to imitate the person of Jesus Christ. Watch and learn what he does and put it into practice in our own lives. Can you take something that you're a master at, imitation, and put it to good use? You can if you put it to good use of intentionally coming to learn about Jesus Christ and imitating him. This is what God has created us to be. This is what we're supposed to do in culture, is we're supposed to imitate Jesus Christ and then reflect Jesus Christ to the world around us. Spiritual maturity can basically be defined as this, imitating the person of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a mature Christian? It means to imitate the person of Jesus Christ. A mature Christian is not one who has all the books of the Bible memorized. A mature Christian is not one who served on every single committee of every single group. A mature Christian is one who resembles their master. A mature Christian is one who in every circumstance reflects the person of Jesus Christ. This is spiritual maturity. Are you and I imitating Christ? How do we pursue this Christ-likeness? Well, first we've got to define our enemy. If we're going to pursue Christ-likeness, we need to understand who our enemy is. And get, you might be surprised, our enemy is not out there. Our enemy's right here. No, not me. Not me for you. Think, think. I'm my worst enemy. You are your worst enemy. Look with me at Romans chapter 13, verse 14, where he says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
In other words, clothe yourself with Jesus and don't allow the flesh to have its way. Our greatest enemy is our flesh that's constantly telling us to do stuff, constantly telling us to respond in certain ways. Maybe you've heard the following phrase, go with your gut. No, absolutely not. Do not go with your gut. Do not trust your gut. Do not follow your gut because guess what? Your gut has been tainted by sin. What we need to do is when we follow our gut, we first need to examine and ask ourselves, is what I'm about to do to reflect the image of Jesus Christ? Our flesh is constantly pulling us in other ways. Can you imagine if all of us acted on every impulse? My family would be a disaster. My personal life would be a disaster if I acted on every impulse that I have. Same is true for you today. If you acted on every impulse that you had, things would be pretty ugly. We were created by God. But that does not mean that every impulse we have is from God. We are created in the image of God, but because of sin, all of humanity has been affected. Physical, social, economic, everything has been affected. Therefore, everything that comes from us, every desire, is not necessarily from our Creator. That's why we've got to go to the one place where we know and affirm the written word. Does the written word affirm this what I'm sensing I should do? We cannot trust our gut because we're in battle against the flesh. And recognize this, it says this, make no provision for the flesh. In other words, don't give the flesh an opportunity to succeed. If you struggle with eating too many Oreos, guess what? Stop buying Oreos. Don't put them in your fridge. Don't make an opportunity for the flesh to succeed. If you know that by going out with some friends to a certain place at a certain time causes you to say things and begin to participate in things that's not glorifying to God and is unhelpful for you, guess what? Don't go there anymore. Or if you're going to go, you've got to take someone with you so you're not alone. We can't make provision for the flesh. In other words, you can't give the flesh an opportunity to rear its head. This is what discipline is in the Christian life. Discipline in the Christian life is not what you do to gain the approval of God. Discipline in the Christian life is when you exercise your abilities to no longer submit to the flesh, but to submit to the Spirit of God. Discipline doesn't earn you anything with God's love or God's approval, but discipline is an opportunity to act out who God has made us to be. We need to be disciplined people, subduing our flesh so that we can submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to display Christ-likeness, you've got to recognize the enemy is your flesh. There's some stuff going on that is not from God with your life. You just got to be willing to maybe acknowledge that and talk to someone and say, hey, this is the way that I, I constantly feel. When I'm around this person, I feel like I should always do this. You need to find out if you actually should do that. Guess what? This is the only thing you can control. In this whole thing, this is all you can control. If you're going to submit to the flesh or if you're going to submit to the leading of the Spirit, you cannot control your crazy coworker who drives you nuts. There's nothing you can do. 
None of you are strong enough. None of you are smart enough. None of you have enough power to control the behavior of another person. All you can control is how you are going to respond. Will you submit to the flesh or submit to the Spirit of God? Recognize our primary enemy is the flesh. The second thing we need to do is we need to have continual refreshment and renewal. If I stood up here today and I said, hey, yesterday I walked seven and a half miles. I had almonds and blueberries for breakfast. I had green beans for lunch. And I had peas for supper. No, I did. No, not really. But if I told you that, and I said, hey, guess what? I'm now set for the rest of the year. How many of you would say, yeah, yeah, that mountaintop health experience, you're good to go for the rest of the year. How many doctors, if I went to them and said, hey, doc, I just had this weekend where I really focused on health. Can I take the rest of the year off? I don't know any doctors who be like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. That one serving of green beans, you're covered in your colon for the rest of the year. Thing. Right? We all agree physically that's true. Spiritually, it's the exact same way. We need continual and continuous refreshment and renewal in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. We constantly say it, read your Bibles, read your Bibles. We don't say read your Bibles for knowledge. Guess what? There's no knowledge exam at the end. No knowledge exam. You're not going to be asked who the great-grandfather of the Apostle Peter was. You're not going to be asked to locate verse X in Joshua or Judges or when was Ezekiel written. Not at all. There's no judgment of knowledge. The purpose of knowledge from Scripture is renewal and refreshment to change our perspective, to change our understanding, to refine us into the image of Jesus Christ. You need to be in your Bible every day, just like I do. Why? Because I need constant renewal. I know my Bible really well. I, I can go weeks and I still know I can locate anything. But guess what? I still have to be in it every day to have that renewal of my spirit and my mind to refocus and re-understand. It's because that's where I encounter the living God. It's not 45 minutes. It's not two and a half hours. Some days it's seven minutes in the car. Other days it's 30 minutes at a restaurant. It's all over the map. But it's every day encountering God to be renewed and refreshed. If you want to fulfill God's will for your life, a simple strategic step you can take is begin getting daily renewal through His Word. We were created to reflect the image of Jesus Christ to the world around us We need to recognize our enemy is the flesh. We need continual refreshment and renewal. So if we're going to reflect Christ to our culture, that might mean a couple of things. I want to spend just a moment this morning and help us understand, okay, I get it. We're supposed to reflect Jesus to the culture. Let's talk now about the tough stuff. Well, it means two things. One is this. At some point, we might need to affirm something in our culture. What I mean is this. If our culture has something good about it, we should say it. For example, we live in America, so we're going to talk about America. American culture has done some great things. I can think of three things right off the bat. First is this, education. The education system in America has changed the world, and many times for the good. We should celebrate the fact that in America, we've got a great education system where we let our minds grow where we ask questions and we expand all of the God-given stuff. In America, we've got this issue of Christianity speaking against science. 
absolutely not. We should celebrate science and the giftedness of the American scientists. Science has done a ton of good. There's not one thing in science that's gone against Christianity. There's not one thing in science that has put Jesus Christ back in the grave. And there's not one single scientific discovery that could put Jesus Christ back in the grave. We should celebrate it and affirm it. That's awesome. We should encourage continued education in our culture. That's great. It's a great way for our kids to learn and expand. Education is great. The second thing that our culture has been absolutely fabulous on is diversity. We should celebrate the fact that here in one country, sometimes in one city, we get to experience every ethnicity and race that God has ever created. That's amazing because there's not one race or ethnicity that represents perfectly the image of God. We should celebrate the diversity that we have in America. That's fabulous that America was founded on a variety of immigrants coming here, settlers, whatever you want to say, coming from different backgrounds and different nations. That's fabulous. We should celebrate the diversity we have, celebrate the education. We should also celebrate that America has taught personal responsibility really well. Maybe it's gone down a little bit recently, but personal responsibility is a great thing. It's lifted up in the Bible. The Bible says, idle hands don't eat. That's not me. That's the Scriptures. The Scriptures are pretty clear. If you don't work, if you don't contribute, guess what? You're in trouble. Everybody needs to contribute. Personal responsibility is lifted up in the Scriptures of saying, you're personal responsible to say, I believe in Jesus. We should celebrate that in America. We've taught personal responsibility. It's done great stuff. When you see something good in the world, just because it's not from the church, you can still affirm it. You can still celebrate it. So we should encourage away. We should be at the forefront saying, go science, go. We should be at the forefront saying, more diversity, more diversity. It reflects the image of God. While we're affirming things in culture, we also have to be willing at different times to critique things in culture. And this is where it gets really, really difficult to critique. So if I'm going to critique something, it can almost always cause trouble. Because the moment we start critiquing, people get offended, relationships are broken, but because of the risk, that doesn't mean we, we can't do it. We have to do it if we're going to properly reflect Jesus Christ. If we're going to critique our culture, there's a couple of things we need to be willing to speak about. First is this, our obsession with stuff. Our obsession with material goods in America is over the top. The church, us as individual Christians, and culture as a whole, we are obsessed with stuff. We have television shows about storage wars. Right? I mean, we think this is great. We gather around our TVs and we celebrate it. This is a problem because materialism and greed, Jesus has extremely harsh words about, really harsh words. We need to be willing to say we need to release our stuff and sometimes material goods is not that important. We've got to be willing to critique that. The second thing we need to be willing to critique as the church and as individual Christians, is highly hot. And that is the A word, abortion. 
As individual followers of Jesus Christ, we need to speak about the culture of life in our country. Abortion is a serious problem. Abortion hurts individuals. It hurts future generations. Those who have had an abortion, they're, no, they're not hated by God. Those who have had an abortion haven't made some grave error in comparison to you and I. We need to recognize, A, that the challenging circumstances that some people are in that forces them to make that decision. We also need to recognize at the exact same time the hurt that it causes afterwards and finding a delicate way to talk to people about it. At the same time, though, we've got to find a way to speak against it because it's robbing life. It's literally stealing life. God is the creator and the giver of life, and we're taking it out of his hands. This is a serious problem that rests on all of our hands. This morning, no one should have this extra sense of guilt or this extra weight because of the way it's affected them or something like this. Know this, that Jesus forgives and Jesus restores And Jesus wants to bring new hope and new life and new peace. At the exact same time that we're given that message, we should be doing everything we can to save life. Because that's what's at stake. Literally, lives are at stake. So one thing we can all agree on this morning is this. Adoption should be much easier in our country. Forget the pro-choice and the pro-life thing for a moment and all the laws that go along with that. Let's focus on a second on saving as many lives as we can. The one avenue that can do that is adoption. So if there's one area of political engagement that all of us can get on board with, no matter what color we wear, is this. We can encourage our politicians to ease the restrictions on adoption. We can encourage our politicians to make pathways for adoptions to happen quicker and cheaper because lives are at stake. No matter where we're at on this issue, we can all agree to push for more opportunities for more caring and loving adults to raise kids who otherwise would not have an opportunity. That's one thing we can all do. The second thing I would contend we all can do, and I know that some of you are in disagree with me on this, we could all open up our homes if push came to shove and have another kid. If push came to shove, we could have another child in our homes. And we've got to be willing and ready if that opportunity arises. No one's too old. Don't use the age argument at all. Visit any other culture in the world. We've got to be willing and ready to open up our homes today. There should be a line at Planned Parenthood this morning of people that are saying, I'll take your child and I will pay for it. We can make a difference and save lives if we reflect the image of Jesus Christ and pursue life. We've got to speak against the greed. We've got to speak about a culture of life. And the final thing we've got to speak about is this issue of sexuality. That sexuality in America is just all over the map. And again, Christianity has put itself in a corner on this one of speaking about one thing. And also not finding a good way to speak about it. Why are we speaking about sexuality so loudly? Is this because sexual ethics outside of 
the ethics of the Scriptures, hurt people. This morning, there's thousands of people who are hurting because of bad sex. That doesn't sound exactly well or right. But it's true. It's very true. The reason that God's Word speaks about sex outside of marriage is because it hurts people. It hurts the children that come. It hurts the individuals that participate in it over the long haul. It diminishes intimacy in marriages. Again, all of us have been affected by this one. God heals. God redeems. God brings new levels of intimacy. All of that, God forgives. God brings new life. But folks, we've got to find a way to stop joking about all the sexual stuff with our coworkers and our neighbors and find a way to encourage and lift up the beauty of the sex promoted in the Bible. Now, I'm going to get really uncomfortable here for a second. So, get the blushing out of the way. We're going to talk about sex really bluntly for a second. Here's what needs to happen. We need married couples that are willing to pull aside an individual that's struggling with this issue. And a married couple say, you know what? If you want to have the best sex of your life, let me tell you about it. If you're sitting in an environment with coworkers and the coworkers are joking about it, and you know one of your coworkers, this is a real struggle for them, trying to find someone or the perfect situation, you need to pull that coworker aside. You need to be really transparent, open, and honest and say, let me tell you about the best pathway forward. That's brought a lot of joy to my life. That's brought a lot of joy to our home. We need some Christians to speak up. Speak up about the joy and the blessing of God's creation. I know this is uncomfortable. I can see it in all of your faces. But if we want to speak about something, we've got to speak about it in a way that reflects Jesus Christ. And the way that reflects Jesus Christ is this is that God created it, God redeems it, and God uses it to bless all of the earth with new life. So today, when we stand up and critique, we've got to stand up and critique in a way that has humility with it, recognizing that in all of those areas, we ourselves have struggled and made mistakes. We have to speak with humility. We have to speak with compassion trying to understand the situation that people are in. Just because it's difficult, though, doesn't mean we can set truth aside. We have to speak with truth. To reflect the image of Jesus Christ to the culture around us is to affirm things in our culture, and it is to critique things in our culture. And finally, finish with this. If we are going to be Christians in our culture, God does not need a stronger Republican Party or a stronger Democrat Party or a stronger Independent Party. What God needs is Christians in each of those parties to begin to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. The ends do not justify the means in Christianity. Just because you're right on an issue does not give you the authorization to say things about certain people and participate in certain things. We have to also be right in our means, not just the end game. No matter what stripe we are this morning, we have one responsibility. Reflect the character, the person, and the philosophy of Jesus Christ to the culture around us. This next week, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to be who you were created 
to be. Our opening song today finished with the line, what? I'm thankful that I'm a child of God. I'm thankful that I'm a child of God. This is what you are. Not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you can do. You are a child of God because of what God has done for you. Now it's time to go forth and be a child of God. Now it is time to be who you are declared to be. You are declared to be in Christ. Now it's time to go forth and resemble Christ to the world around us. Praise God that we are children of God. Now let us go forth and reflect the image of our Father to the world around us. Let's go forth this next week and be who we were created to be and reflect Christ to our culture. Let us pray. Almighty God, We acknowledge that oftentimes on some of these difficult topics, we've failed. We acknowledge that it's been hard to talk about some of these things. And God, we, we ask for wisdom now on how to speak to some of these things. We also pray for boldness, to be encouragers. God, I pray today for healing for all of us who have not reflected your image at all times. God, restore us to your image from glory to glory. God, I pray right now that you would renew us and refresh us. And I pray that you'd give each of us a desire to experience renewal and refreshment each day. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for using us to be your lights here in this world. God, we ask now that you would come. King of heaven, we ask that you would come. Return and establish your kingdom here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.